Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Speech Analysis on the Public Speakers Podcast. On today's episode, we're going over why we have an emotional connection to robots by Kate Darling. Um, now, I really like this speech for a couple of reasons, and if you want to check out the video, I would definitely recommend checking the video out as well. Um, for, so there's two main takeaways from this, and then we'll get into the talk. First is the use of visual aids. Um, I thought the incorporation of visual aids in conjunction with what she was talking about was really important because she's making a really large like philosophical argument which i think is really good and a lot of it is supported via the empirical examples uh, and research that she's done over time and the visual aids actually really help for when she's explaining a lot of that research just for the audience that's in that actual room um to get a better understanding of what she's saying um, and the second thing I'll talk about is uh, her pausing. I think her pausing is very good. She pauses on certain words and certain moments where there's just like dead silence. And like you can really sort of internalize what was said. And I'm assuming the audience was definitely impacted by those moments. Um, so that's what I genuinely liked about the talk. I think there was a lot of passion in her voice. She's done a lot of research on this. So it seems like um, she knew what she was talking about. But yeah, nonetheless, let's get into the talk. And I hope you enjoy the speech analysis. There was a day about 10 years ago when I asked a friend to hold a baby dinosaur robot upside down. It was this toy called a Pleo that I had ordered and I was really excited about it because I've always loved robots. And this one has really cool technical features. It had motors and touch sensors and it had an infrared camera. And one of the things it had was a tilt sensor. So it knew what direction it was facing. And when you held it upside down, it would start to cry. And I thought this was super cool. So I was showing it off to my friend. And I said, ooh, hold it up by the tail, see what it does. So we're watching the theatrics of this robot struggle and cry out. And after a few seconds, it starts to bother me a little. And I said, okay, that's enough now. Let's put him back down. And then I pet the robot to make it stop crying. And that was kind of a weird experience for me. For one thing, I wasn't the most maternal person at the time. Although since then I've become a mother nine months ago, and I've learned that babies also squirm when you hold them upside down. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the introduction to this uh, so far. So I think that this is a interesting introduction, right? Starting from a personal experience and then talking about um, uh, uh, the theme of the talk, right? So the talk is going to be about emotional connections to robots. So it's bringing up this problem that was at the personal experience, which was after flipping up a robot, there was an emotional attachment, a weird experience towards not wanting to cause that robot pain, even though robots can't really feel pain. So that was a really good thing because it, it began to introduce the conflict that is existing uh, kind of internally with Kate, and that's going to sort of drive the motivation for why she wanted to resolve that conflict or wanted to do something different in, in regards to changing um, her emotional connection to the robot. The response to this robot was also interesting because I knew exactly how this machine worked, and yet I still felt compelled to be kind to it. And that observation sparked a curiosity that I've spent the, the past decade pursuing. Why did I comfort this robot? And one of the things I discovered was that my treatment of this machine was more than just an awkward moment in my living room. That in a world where we're increasingly integrating robots into our lives, an instinct like that might actually have consequences. 
Because the first thing that I discovered is that it's not just me. In 2007, the Washington Post reported that the United States military was testing this robot that diffused landmines. And the way it worked was it was shaped like a stick insect, and it would walk around a minefield on its legs, and every time it stepped on a mine, one of the legs would blow up, and it would continue on the other legs to blow up more mines. And the colonel who is in charge of this testing exercise ends up calling it off because he says it's too inhumane to watch this damaged robot drag itself along the minefield. Now, what would cause a hardened military officer and someone like myself to have this response to robots? Well, of course, we're primed by science fiction and pop culture to really want to personify these things. But it goes a little bit deeper than that. It turns out that we're biologically hardwired to project intent and life onto any movement in our physical space that seems autonomous to us. So people will treat all sorts of robots like they're alive. These bomb disposal units get names, they get medals of honor. They've had funerals for them with gun salutes. And research shows that we do this even with very simple household robots, like the Roomba vacuum cleaner. <laughs> just a disc that roams around your floor to clean it, but just the fact that it's moving around on its own will cause people to name the Roomba and feel bad for the Roomba when it gets stuck under the couch. And we can design robots specifically to evoke this response using eyes and faces, or movements that people automatically, subconsciously associate with states of mind. And there's an entire body of research called human-robot interaction that really shows how well this works. So, for example, researchers at Stanford University found out that it makes people really uncomfortable when you ask them to touch a robot's private parts. <laughs> so from this, but from many other studies, we know, we know that people respond to the cues given to them by these lifelike machines. But when you ask them to touch a robot's private parts, <laughs> with states of mind. And there's an entire body of research called human-robot interaction that really shows how well this works. So, for example, researchers at Stanford University found out that it makes people really uncomfortable when you ask them to touch a robot's private parts. So what Kate is doing is really good here. She's bringing up multiple, multiple examples, whether it's from research or whether it's from other experiences, um, like the, the little robot Zumba cleaner that runs around your house, um, that sort of begins to start the discussion and conversation for why humans sympathize with robots or empathize with robots. Um, all of these examples are really good because they're starting to prove a trend that if a, if a robot has eyes or if a robot uh, does something productive for us and we feel gratitude for that robot, then that uh, already simultaneously creates a trait of uh, human interaction with an object that is not a human but performs human-like things that gets our attention to make it feel like we care about that object as if it is a human. So all of these examples are super important because it'll begin to transition in towards the, the macro-level reason for why we care uh, about robots so much. So from this, but from many other studies, we know, we know that people respond to the cues given to them by these lifelike machines, even if they know that they're not real. Now, we're headed towards a world where robots are everywhere. Robotic technology is moving out from behind factory walls. It's entering work. 
real quick on her hand movement uh, when she says it's moving out from factory walls that is a good example of hand movement right because it's kind of making like a, a moving motion while the content of what she's saying is simultaneous with um, the the action she's performing on her hands so that in and of itself I think there's a lot of it she's doing a lot of hand movement like when she says where do we go from here and she kind of keeps her hands like this that's kind of like a I'm confused uh, type of thing so the hand movement is also really well in this speech in terms of the words that she's saying along with the um, the body movement that she's performing. She's not walking around too much and I think the stage is kind of small, maybe that's why, um, but staying still here doesn't seem to be like a problem for the, the delivery of the speech. Places, households, and as these machines that can sense and make autonomous decisions and learn enter into these shared spaces, I think that maybe the best analogy we have for this is our relationship with animals. Thousands of years ago, we started to domesticate animals, and we trained them for work and weaponry and companionship. And throughout history, we've treated some animals like tools or like products, and other animals we've treated with kindness, and we've given a place in society as our companions. I think it's plausible we might start to integrate robots in similar ways. And sure, Animals are alive, robots are not. And I can tell you from working with roboticists that we're pretty far away from developing robots that can feel anything. But we feel for them. And that matters, because if we're trying to integrate robots into these shared spaces, we need to understand that people will treat them differently than other devices. Ah, so here we're getting into the macro-level thesis of the speech. So two things I want to point out. One, she made a pause when she was like, robots aren't real, but we care for them. And it was a short pause. I think it was maybe one and a half seconds, and then she moved on. But that was enough for me, at least as an audience, to feel like, that's true. We do care for them, right? And if we care for them, then that has some relevancy uh, in human society. And now we're getting into the larger portion of the speech, which is the stuff that really matters, um, which is that if, he, if robots are going to be a part of our everyday life, which they kind of already are, um, but even at a higher level, then the integration of those robots should have some type of human element to it in order for us to treat robots with dignity and respect, not necessarily just because they're robots and, and they like can feel dignity and respect, but rather because as a human society, we don't want to um, degrade ourselves by not treating things that are helpful for us without dignity and respect. Um, it's kind of just like, you know, if you got a new phone, would you just automatically crack it for fun or would you treat your phone with respect because it's perform it's offering you a valuable way to do a lot of stuff that you would do on your phone? Kind of in that mentality in terms of what does it say about humanity if we just like destroy all these things or treat them with bad uh, dignity and respect if they're performing really well services and helping our own lives. And that in some cases, for example, the case of a soldier who becomes emotionally attached to the robot that they work with, that can be anything from inefficient to dangerous. But in other cases, it can actually be useful to foster this emotional connection to robots. We're already seeing some great use cases. For example, robots working with autistic children to engage them in ways that we haven't seen previously. Or robots working with teachers to engage kids in learning with new results. And it's not just for kids. Early studies show that robots can help doctors and patients in healthcare settings. This is the Paro Baby Seal robot. It's used in nursing homes and with dementia patients. It's been around for a while. And I remember years ago being at a party 
and telling someone about this robot, and her response was, "Oh my gosh, that's horrible. I can't believe we're giving people robots instead of human care." And this is a really common response, and I think it's absolutely correct because that would be terrible. But in this case, it's not what this robot replaces. What this robot replaces is animal therapy, in contexts where we can't use real animals, but we can use robots because people will consistently treat them like more, more like an animal than a device. Acknowledging this emotional connection to robots can also help us anticipate challenges as these devices move into more intimate areas of people's lives. For example, is it okay if your child's teddy bear robot records private conversations? Is it okay if your sex robot has compelling in-app purchases? Because robots plus capitalism equals questions around consumer protection and privacy. And those aren't the only reasons that our behavior around these machines could matter. A few years after that first initial experience I had with this baby dinosaur robot, I did a workshop with my friend Hannes Gosselt, and we took five of these baby dinosaur robots and we gave them to five teams of people, and we had them name them and play with them and interact with them for about an hour. And then we unveiled a hammer and a hatchet, and we told them to torture and kill the robots. <laughs> and this turned out to be a little more dramatic than we expected it to be, because none of the participants would even so much as strike these baby dinosaur robots. So we had to improvise a little. And at some point, we said, "Okay, you can save your team's robot if you destroy another team's robot." <laughs> and even that didn't work. They couldn't do it. So finally, we said, "We're going to destroy all of the robots unless someone takes a hatchet to one of them." And this guy stood up and he took the hatchet, and the whole room winced as he brought the hatchet down on the robot's neck. And there was this half-joking, half-serious moment of silence in the room for this fallen robot. So that was a really interesting experience. Now it wasn't a controlled study, obviously, but it did lead to some later research that I did at MIT with Palash Nandi and Cynthia Brazil, where we had people come into the lab and smash these hex bugs that move around in a really lifelike way, like insects. So instead of choosing something cute that people are drawn to, we chose something more basic. And what we found was that high empathy people would hesitate more to hit the hex bugs. Now this is just a little study, but it's part of a larger body of research that is starting to indicate that there may be a connection between people's tendencies for empathy and their behavior around robots. So I think all these examples、um, are pretty good.、Um, they're pretty relevant in terms of、uh, the the message that Kate is trying to get across, and they're contextual, right? Like they're they're well detailed in terms of these examples, and they're proving the overall point. So if you're giving a public speech and you're trying to have this like Large thesis, and you want to provide different examples to get to that thesis. It's really important that you walk those examples down and, and build them as if they're a story, but also explain the nuanced details of all of those examples that allow an audience to understand what、uh, the example's relevance is to the larger thesis that you're trying to get to.、Um, but overall, it seems like there is always a trend between human interaction and robots. And she showed like how they're helping kids with aut autism. Then she explained this whole entire dinosaur experiment with the five control teams. Like all of this stuff is just really, really good analysis, and it's getting to the larger point that she wants to get at.
But my question for the coming era of human-robot interaction is not, do we empathize with robots? It's, can robots change people's empathy? Is there reason to, for example, prevent your child from kicking a robotic dog? Not just out of respect for property, but because the child might be more likely to kick a real dog. And again, it's not just kids. This is the violent video games question, but it's on a completely new level because of this visceral physicality that we respond more intensely to than to images on a screen. When we behave violently towards robots, specifically robots that are designed to mimic life, is that a healthy outlet for violent behavior? Or is that training our cruelty muscles? We don't know. But the answer to this question has the potential to impact human behavior. It has the potential to impact social norms. It has the potential to inspire rules around what we can and can't do with certain robots, similar to our animal cruelty laws. Because even if robots can't feel, our behavior towards them might matter for us. And regardless of whether we end up changing our rules, robots might be able to help us come to a new understanding of ourselves. Most of what I've learned over the past 10 years has not been about technology at all. It's been about human psychology and empathy and how we relate to others. Because when a child is kind to a Roomba, when a soldier tries to save a robot on the battlefield, or when a group of people refuses to harm a robotic baby dinosaur, those robots aren't just motors and gears and algorithms. They're reflections of our own humanity. Thank you. Okay, that was Why We Have an Emotional Connection to Robots by Kate Darling. Um, I like this speech. I really like the ending where she says that it's a reflection of our own humanity. I think that makes a lot of sense because all of the examples ended up leading up to this like terminal impact, which is that robots are just a reflection of us, which is the answer to why we empathize and sympathize um, a lot with robots. I think it was really good when she said that we don't have an answer to some of these questions, but we know that we still care. And the caring of um, these robots is a, is, a, is a reflection of us. And th that sort of brings up this whole violent video games example, which is that if kids play violent video games, they're going to be violent in real life. But for Kate, the distinction is that this is actually physical. It's not really a screen. Now it's like a more intimate experience that you're having with um, these these. Uh, like physical machines, which is going to correlate much more differently when you interact with the real world. So I think the theme of this speech being that robots are a reflection of humanity and that the way we interact with them has the potential to change the course of humanity to some extent is important, right? Because if we don't care about robots, if we don't care about the effects of robots, we kind of become desensitized or desensitized to what robots can do or the impact of robots, which can potentially not be beneficial for us in, in various forms of, of life and just various activities in life. Um, but yeah, overall, I like the speech. I thought pausing is a huge takeaway from the speech. It's a really fantastic thing that she was doing in certain moments and just letting everything sit with the audience. And I think the depth of examples and analysis that was in the meat of the, the middle of the speech really proved to be effective at the end. Um, yeah, so overall, I like the speech. Leave a speech in the comments that you would like me to review. Hopefully it'll make this channel. Please subscribe. We're at like 42 subscribers. I'm trying to get to like 43. Um, but yeah, thank you guys for watching and I'll see you on the next episode of Speech Analysis. Bye.